Barbara Koppel, and you're listening to Film Wax Radio. Well, hey, everybody. It's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It is uh, Friday, March 5th, 2021. This is episode 658 of the podcast. Two segments. We have a filmmaker named Elizabeth Lowe coming up first with her documentary. It's called Stray. She is living currently quarantining in Hong Kong. We're going to talk about her, her her great documentary in a minute. And then after that, we'll come back and we'll be talking to the actor, Donald Logue, who has uh, been around a long time. He's, you know, I remember him going back to, I think about 20 years ago, The Tao of Steve. He's in a new movie and it's called Sometime Other Than Now. Both of these films are now available to watch. So you can, after you see these, or rather listen to this podcast, you, you can watch both of those films this weekend. And by the way, both of these conversations, as uh, has been the case for the majority of the shows, they're on the YouTube channel. You can watch them as opposed to only listen to them if you're if you're home and you'd rather just watch them. Go to youtube.com slash filmwaxradio and you can enjoy them there. Stray is the name of the documentary. Through the eyes of three stray dogs wandering around the streets of Istanbul, Stray explores what it means to live as a, as a being without status or security. As they search for food and shelter, Zaytin, Nazar, and Kartal embark on inconspicuous journeys through Turkish society that allow, that allow us to uh, uh, an unvarnished portrait of human life and their own canine culture. Zaytin, fiercely independent, embarks on solitary adventures through the city at night. Nazar, nurturing and protective, easily befriends the humans around her, while Kartal, a shy puppy living on the outskirts of construction life, finds refuge with the security guards who care for her. The disparate, lives of the, lo- the disparate lives of Zaytin, Nazar, and Kartal intersect when they each form intimate bonds with a group of young Syrians who share the streets with them. Whether they lead us into bustling streets or decrepit ruins, whether they lead us into bustling streets or decrepit ruins, the gaze of these strays act as a window into the overlooked corners of society. Women in loveless marriages, protesters without arms. Refugees without sanctuary. The film is a critical observation of human civilization through the unfamiliar gaze of dogs and a sensory voyage into new ways of seeing. We'll take a look at the trailer first, but here it is. This is my conversation with Elizabeth. I have the same virtual background. Let me. Uh... <laughs> this is my grassroots advertising. <laughs> it works for Hi, me. Uh, you're, you, thanks, Jared. Oh, you are welcome. I'll let you guys get to it. Do either of you have any questions before you get started? Um, 
they can uh there's is there a stray movie website or where do they go to find out where yeah those cinemas right I, I can send that to you yeah exactly. you want to you want to plug that into the uh chat room sure. chat rather and then i'll i'll be able to mention that too but yeah you know i know it's going to be a film forum for example unless uh which is nice anyway um yeah, and then the only other thing is, Adam, I'll just give you a little time check uh, as we're coming up on about five minutes, okay? Mm, okay, thank you. All right, hi. Hi, um, and this is going to be a video recording, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. so we can really, there's uh, Zaytin, how do you pronounce that? Zaytin. Zaytin, so there's Zaytin in the background on your poster, right? Yeah. Your yeah. star, mm-hmm. nine star. Um. Well, hello. You're in Hong Kong. Yeah, I'm here for the pandemic. Understood. Understood. Um, and I, I'm just up upstate in the Hudson Valley of New York State. Are you typically uh, live in New York, or where do you typically live? Typically, I live in Los Angeles, but oh, I'm trying. LA? To, yeah, but I'm trying to move back to New York somehow. Okay. Well, we gladly uh, welcome you back to New York. <laughs> I hope I can make it back. You're able to make that. Independent film is the best there. The theaters that exist there, nothing beats it. I I I think for documentary filmmakers, it's the easiest place to live because there's such a community and network of people there. Yeah. You know, Susan Norgate is there. Film Forum is there. (laughs) Yeah. Magnolia Pictures is there. Unless I'm, I'm, they maybe they have an LA office that I'm not aware of. They probably have a, some satellite thing going on over there. Is my guess right? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it's before. nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Uh, I enjoyed Stray. I as soon as I kind of heard about it, actually, I said, "Oh, let me get Elizabeth on and uh, talk to her about her documentary." And at first, I, you know, it's essentially we, you know, it's your film, right? And hop in any time to correct or modify what I say, please. Mm-hmm. It's about this. It takes place on the streets of Is- Insta- Istanbul, Turkey, yeah. mm-hmm. sort of the per- POV of three dogs, May- maybe mainly Zayton, but there's two other, two other dogs. There's Nazar and Kartal. I've, again, mm-hmm. correct my uh, pronunciation. I assume these are Turkish names. Yeah, they are. Yeah. And uh, while well, I have a couple of Turkish friends who will probably now banish me from their <laughs> for mispronouncing names turkish names uh i'll 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 I'll, uh, I'll beg their forgiveness um and i was as i was watching i'm like how did she shoot this there's no camera on the dog and yet we're following the dog around and nobody seems to be uh all that curious about this camera they they are they're all nonplussed by uh, I'm talking about citizens on the streets of, yeah. of the city. Yeah, they don't seem to raise an eyebrow. So I did read ultimately about how you did it, but I want you to kind of talk about that whole process of uh, you know maybe I'm jumping the gun a little bit in terms of why you made the film about the dogs, but I'm sure you've talked about that at great length. But I'm kind of curious first. Let's start with the just how you arrived and the tech uh, the technical choices you made yeah for sure um i originally did try to figure out like gopro rigs for the dogs but i couldn't figure out how to stabilize them on the dogs and so the footage would come back yeah like really like too much it would have been way too intense for audiences if it were just like shaking on a dog the whole time um and also sound, of course, was really important to this film because part of the concept was the film was these overheard conversations as the dogs wander through the city. Um, so I ended up figuring out this rig that was like an easy rig. It's this thing called an easy rig where it hangs a lot of the weight from the camera and the gimbal stabilizer that the film was filmed on onto my waist instead of my hands. And then with that, I think I just kind of found a balance to crouch low and and walk beside the dogs and be as close to them as possible. And part of the reason why I think I was able to achieve some of those shots is because Zayton is actually quite singular and extraordinary in how she related to me 
as a camera person. Like she was able to ignore me and let me get so close to her face um, in a way that most other dogs would react. They would want to interact, engage with you and, 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 yeah. and, and exchange affection or whatever, yeah, communicate totally. somehow, where totally. she really yeah. didn't care, right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think she's like really cool, like a really cool dog that's like a little standoffish, playful, but not, for some reason, just like not with me unless I invited her explicitly to. She would, I think she was so sensitive. She kind of knew also what I wanted. She could read what wow, I wanted. Well, that's getting into a whole other <laughs> sphere of yours. <laughs> of course, I'm a believer of. Right. The, well, I can cute. understand it. Uh, she's. She is remarkable, and um, I defy anybody watching not to sort of buy in it really quickly and feel like they have like an emotional relationship or stake with her and her. Uh, because we, you know, it's also worth mentioning that uh, that the regardless of its past, the city's situation is that they're they they have a policy right of not uh bothering the dogs uh yeah. certainly not collecting them and yeah yeah you know, really capturing them but but they seem yeah. to almost it's almost like when you're hiking and you're try to do it as uh you know cautiously you know where i know there's a term but you where you don't try you try to minimize your impact on everything so you know in a way it's like that with the dogs in Istanbul in Istanbul where where they're they're not uh, bothered and they're left alone to their own devices there's a lot of stray dogs yeah well I think it's more they're not policed or persecuted the way that they are I think in the states like people are really engaged with the dogs like when I would try to put tracking like GPS tracking collars on the dogs people would come up to me or my co-producer uh, Zainab and be like, what is she doing? Right. They These were are not protective. to be taken. Yeah. Very protective. And even you see in the film, like that uh, trash truck collect, uh, the trash collector comes out and decides to intervene in a fight right. of bones, which is extraordinary that he decided to take the time to do that. And everybody was like that. Like everybody was up in everybody's business, including uh-huh. dogs. Okay. And so I feel like people are, uh, they're communally taken care of. I think there's like a different framework for how they relate to dogs. That's very different than the States where, you know, you just manage your own dog if you have one and that's it. Or you, you know, call the police on, on stray dogs. Uh, but, it, but the city has, um, what was I going to say? It, um, Uh, I, ha- I just had a thought. It just escaped me for a second. But uh, what I, w- I was thinking that um, the city, uh, I just went completely blank. I apologize. Now I, of course, now I'll have to edit. But no, you brought up something about the dogs. And I, I just had this, uh, and it was such a brilliant, of course, thought. But uh, um, about, uh, um, in terms of how the dogs are left alone, I know we were talking about uh, the dogs to their own device. Um, but it's interesting how people had such a protective, uh, you know, protective feeling for the dogs, uh, yeah. you know? Yeah. And at the same time, oh, I guess what I noticed was that, like, there's a scene where, oh, I, I do remember now, because I was remembering, first of all, a scene like, you know, at the cafe, where there's almost like, you know, let the dogs do what they want to do, um, intervene as little as possible. And then I, I realized there's a significant Muslim population in the city, is there not? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, so, it's mixed. There's, okay, uh, because, and they maybe more religious, uh, the more religious folks just don't feel like you can touch the dog, that that's not something. Oh, that... I think you noticed, yeah, the security guards who are raising the puppies, the black and white puppies, which include cartel, they always pet the puppies with their feet instead of their hands um and that is <laughs> they, because yeah of yeah of their religion but at the same time their religion is what asks them to feed those in need which is why they have this routine uh, of feeding them and taking uh-huh. care of them even though they're not touching them which i think is really interesting too okay right 
Well, it's a it's a it's a very interesting part of the film. I'm interested when people see it to know what they what the feeling what the you know when the film comes out, which is actually on fifth uh, of March. It's coming yeah. right up. It'll right. be in virtual cinemas here in the states. Um, and uh, oh, I think I have an inf- information as to where. Okay, so straymovie.com. People can go to straymovie.com and find out what art house cinema they can see this film. And I'm, I'm really urging people to uh, support their local art houses and uh, buy a ticket and watch it at home, but at the virtual art house. Um, and you'll be supporting those art houses and you'll be a supp- supporting this film and Elizabeth's filmmaking, which is also really great. And uh, so um, if you're watching the film, as um and you're paying attention which is hopefully the case it's very hard you're watching very cute dogs it's hard if you're a dog lover to understand to even think beyond the cute faces of these dogs and or or have a deep concern for their well-being because you know they're stray dogs where will they next where will they sleep safely will they get into a fight with a dog that might be stronger these are worries that you develop very quickly for the dogs and um Although we should mention Satan is a very, very uh, independent, strong, willful, you know, dog. She can take care of herself very well. Uh, But uh, if you listen to, again, we see that we, we, the camera in a way is an extension of the dogs in terms of their perspective, right? Their POV, but so Mm -hmm. is audio. Mm -hmm. So we're right. Conversations leak into this. And then ultimately, uh, we develop a bit of a relationship with this group of, of Syrians, children mm-hmm. who yeah. are have uh, found home in, in, in Turkey and safety in Turkey. And yeah. yet they live on the streets. Um, they're also strays, right? I mean, this is not a coincidence, right? Were you trying yeah. to suggest something uh, about that? Or were you completely taking a... A verite approach? I mean, I think it was organic to the story. I don't think I was trying to make a statement sort of connecting the two. I think what people take from it, they will. Um, But I think to deny the kind of relationships that Zayton had with the most marginalized populations in the city would have been to very intentionally turned away from the reality of her life. And because she's a stray dog, she has no access to private spaces by the nature of her category of being. And so she's constantly occupying public spaces. And the types of people who are, you know, always in public spaces are going to be people who are either relegated there or have to go there, like the women who are marching for their rights on the streets, the protests, or the young men who are making a living on the streets in the informal economy, or the buskers, the musicians who are on the streets. So I think there was in my mind when I set out to make a film about stray dogs, I kind of knew that it would sort of be a window into all the sort of lives that are lived on the margins of a city, just by the nature of, of where a stray dog goes, like the cracks and crevices that, that Zayton is drawn to and the people and other animals she encounters in those spaces. Right. This wasn't, you didn't edit this film in a way to present the city is how you you felt the dog experienced it. Yeah. I mean, when I was shooting, I never, I still to this day, I've spent like months and months over the course of three years visiting Turkey. I have yet to go to any of the major tourist sites because all of the times I was with the stray dogs and I would go where they took me. So I, I think I've seen a very gritty part of Istanbul, uh, which, and the film is a reflection of that, but it, I always just kind of stuck with their itinerary and their habitat where they chose to find food and find company. Could you have shot this film in any of, I mean, could you have done this film in Paris? Could you have done it in Hong Kong? No way. I wish, I wish I could have because part of the impetus to make this film was also to set it in a society that was going through turmoil, political and social turmoil, and to see what could be revealed if you, took a defamiliarized gaze at it through the peripheries of a stray dog population. 
And Turkey is one of these places that has such a healthy and thriving uh, stray dog population in right. a way that Hong Kong and Paris, they turned their backs on their dogs. They eradicated them, they killed them. And whenever there's a stray dog there today, they're you know, either incarcerated for the rest of their lives unless they're adopted or destroyed. And so this film could only take place in a society that has embraced dogs who can live on their own terms instead of only seeing dogs, you know, in a, well, it makes a you, paradigm. It makes one question how, what is a domestic animal? Truthfully, yeah. you know, um, uh, you know, what is the uh where are the instincts to survive uh, uh, at the end of the day um and there's all sorts of questions about you know the dog safety people safety uh you know is this a is this a workable thing you know yeah it's so because when I set out to make this film I also was like what is it like part of my uh, inquiry was what is it like to live as a being without love and security and status yeah. but what I found in Turkey is was the opposite there's so much love and warmth in a communal sense mm-hmm. and status and security because they have rights there and then I realized my whole conception of what what the humane treatment of dogs is was the opposite, that cities that have large stray dog populations are actually the ones that are treating dogs the most humanely. And the ones that don't, like Paris or New York or Hong Kong, we've actually decided that if you're a dog, if you happen to be born with a dog's DNA, you have no rights at all except to be someone's pet, which is actually insane because dogs evolved to live on our peripheries, to live off of our trash. They can survive and they're smart. They cannot navigate traffic. I've seen them do it in Istanbul. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to do it in any American city, except that culturally we find it unacceptable. I know it's a little radical to say all of this, but that's just I, what I, I, I welcome radical conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I feel really strongly about this. It's, yeah. it's really sad. Yeah. This yeah. is a really fascinating part of, uh, do, as far as you know, I mean, I was going to go on to, what were you, what kind of film were you thinking of making right before you decided to make this film or had you been planning? I mean, when were you, I was going to ask you about that. Like, when did the inspiration come? Were you planning on working on something? Were you searching for a project at the time? You know, it was my first feature length documentary. I'd made a bunch of shorts before. Yeah. And I think, I Which was is, by the way, me. people should, <laughs> should search them out. She's, garnered many uh, awards and attention with their short documentaries. They've appeared in lots of uh, Tony oh. Tony uh, <laughs> locations or spots anyway, but go ahead. Thank you, thank you. Um, but yeah, I think when I set out, I was really naive because I was like, I'm gonna make a film about stray dogs around the world. And, you know, sort of to do a cultural comparison of how the status of a dog can be so different depending on what culture they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think it's a, it was a really ambitious project. And even sort of in my mind, it was humanity. The human condition is seen through the eyes of dogs. It's kind of a ridiculous logline for a first film, especially. Um, but I think because I was naive in embarking this on this journey, I kind of just did it. So, so yeah. And, and obviously I love dogs. And I think the people who watch this probably love dogs too. And I wanted to really give narrative time and space to beings whose lives aren't necessarily considered, you know, significant enough for a feature length film or, you know, a book or a story. And yeah, I guess it came from my own childhood dog passing away and me feeling regret at not, you know, grieving him as fully as I should have had we lived in a world that considered him to be equal to humans. So I think, it, you know, the impetus for this film also sprang out of that regret. Had and you read your film- Diogenes earlier in life? <laughs> um, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I almost forgot how you, you throughout the film, your your documentary, it's called Stray, by the way, is you, uh, there are quotes from Diogenes and, and a couple of other philosophers who ha- really held dogs to a great esteem, you know, right? Yeah. Who believed in... Yeah 
dogs, kind of like what we're talking about, that they were yeah. species, they were, we were equal as far as species, that there's yeah. no hierarchy necessarily, but. Yeah, but that so we had you, a lot to learn it's from It's convenient that. for us to create an hierarchy where we're at the top, right? Because. Completely. And it's the most destructive thing for the world, probably. Yeah. I I know as I've grown uh, personally, the, the whole concept of zoos as a spectacle has become really kind of a, uh, you know, uh, offensive to me, you know, which is something I never thought of as a young person. Yeah. I'm actually one of the first films I made when I was in film school was about zoos, sort of an examination of how weird you bring your kids to, what are you educating them about when you take your kids to a zoo where there's like wild animals behind a piece of plexiglass. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you go a little further back, even, I mean, there are bars and they just put animals in, in little small cages, essentially yeah. back before that they got more yeah. humane, but within the context of very inhumane situation. Now there are sort of extensions of often of preserves or of, you know, ways of preserving animal life, but yeah. That's and and also, I guess, financing that, you know. Yeah. At making that zoo film was actually what got me started got me into documentaries because I looked at the Central Park Zoo and the mm -hmm. Bronx Zoo in New York and it was revealed to me in the process of looking digging into these zoos that there was a human like African pygmy human who was housed in the monkey house in at the like just over a hundred years ago and after he was released from the monkey house he committed suicide from all the taunting and you know, obviously extreme racism that would house him there. But this intersection between speciesism and racism and colonialism, those were all issues I cared a lot about. And that's what got me into documentary filmmaking, realizing like if you just dig a little deeper, there's so much darkness and, and assumptions that you, that, you know, you have to upend as you get to know more. And it was the same in the process of making Stray. My own cultural assumptions were upended by this journey. I'm sure you were you were grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did you say goodbye to Zayton and the other two dogs? I mean, and uh, you've been in Hong Kong, which is not exactly around the corner from Istanbul. So I just wonder if you're how you how you coping with your goodbye and. Yeah. If you have any any connection to the dog or dogs yeah. since making the film, well, with Kartal, we sadly were never able to find him again. Mm -hmm. The police took him. We searched all the shelters. They, this and, was at the scene where with the boys. Yeah, yeah, where the mm -hmm. boys were arrested alongside Kartal. But I have a feeling that one of the policemen probably took Kartal in, um, and for his own family, and just didn't want to tell us because I can't imagine anyone wanting to do harm to that puppy. Yeah. But with Zaytan and Nazar, they kind of dropped me off at the hostel that I was sleeping in. And they came to the door. I went up with my gear. I said goodbye to them. And the next morning they were gone. And that was sort of my goodbye with them. And I'll occasionally get updates from Zeynep Koprilu, my co-producer who lives in Istanbul. Oh, She'll okay, right. Of course. Zaytan. She'll run into Zaytan and, and, and snap a picture for oh, wow. me and be like, yeah, I tried to wake her up, but as always, she did not. <laughs> she refused. <laughs> sweet. Very sweet. Yeah. So she's well, surviving yeah. well during the pandemic. Uh, and you have your film to look at and watch, rewatch, and all the extra footage we don't see, you know, I'm sure, too. So you have endless, I'm sure, footage of yeah. Zaytan and her, uh, 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 and her friends. Um, well, thank you very much. Uh, again, uh, Elizabeth Lowe is the filmmaker. Stray is the name of that. Go to go to straymovie.com again. Um, you can get uh, all the details of how to see it. It's it's. If you've always wanted to be a dog lover and you're not one already, this might help to uh, bring you over the finish line, as it were. His, <laughs> <Right to, laughs> uh, but I was I was, I was a built-in fan, so there was no way I wasn't going to talk to you about the film. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll do it again. Yeah. And also for people who are listening or watching, mm -hmm. I think there's a few drive-in screenings coming up, like at the oh. Roxy. I'm not sure in other cities, but I think a drive-in. Is, is that the West 
the West Coast and the Is that Bay Area. San Francisco Bay Area? Yeah, Roxy, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. But there probably are a few on the East Coast too. But if you go to straight well, movie. Yeah. Well, as a separate subject, I'm sure this summer there will be quite a few drive-ins uh, open. The ones that already exist as well as uh, pop-up ones because people want to get back out there and see movies together, right? Yeah, yeah. It's sad. Yeah, it's really yeah. sad. Nice meeting you. Thank you. We'll do it. Like I say, we'll do it again. I hope. Yeah. Thank you so much. Good luck with it. Sam, played by Donald Logue, who, after his motorcycle is damaged in an apparent crash into the ocean, becomes stranded in a small New England town, finds refuge at a rundown motel, looked after by Kate, played by Kate Walsh, a similarly burnt-out lost soul. The mystery, surra- the mystery around Sam's presence in town unravels when it's discovered that his estranged daughter, Audrey, played by Trieste Kelly Dunn, lives there. The daughter he hasn't seen in over 25 years, as he tries to bridge the gap between the little girl he left long ago and the woman who grew up without her father, Sam learns he was never cut out to be emotionally connected to anyone unless he falls in love with another soul just as lonesome. Uh, I uh, was really happy to finally bring on Donald Logue, who I've been following for decades now throughout his career. And, uh, you know, we have a, I have a special other reason I wanted to invite him on, which I divulged to him early on in this conversation. And you will find out this episode, this, excuse me, this segment as well, by the way, is available on the Filmwax Radio YouTube channel. If you go to youtube.com slash Filmwax Radio, you can watch this one, the one with Elizabeth Lowe, and many, many, many other conversations. I usually post some of the uh, conversations that go up there aren't always even on the podcast but we can talk about that another time right now sit back and enjoy this conversation with uh donald logue who i'm sure you will recognize if you don't already know who he is here on film wax radio i always told myself i was going to go back so I got the bright idea to ride across the country as if that would somehow make things better. You can get down to the beach that way, or we can also go right down this trail through the shrubs. Kind of funny, her being by herself in a small town like this. She's a nice lady, isn't she? Gosh, I haven't done this in ages. Why not? I mean, is this for real? Because I'm getting extremely excited. You're the first person I've ever told about my daughter. I haven't seen her in 30 years. What if I went out there with you? What would I say to Hello? Hi. Molly, can, can you go inside, sweetie? So maybe next time you call first. You've got me coming around again. Most of my surprise, you got me coming What if I'm the same person? Just don't be. I came down here so I could have a better life. So now you're just determined to keep this place going come hell or high water. He's come a long way across the country to find you. You don't look the way I remember you. Time plays tricks, huh? I'm trying really hard. I can't imagine what it's been like for you. I'd like you to stay with me. I'd have to know I was moving towards something, not away from it. You look awful. Thanks. Yeah, in the car. Love it. I'm in the truck out in the woods. How you doing? We're do. I'm good. How are you, man? Or did good. you say what? I'm so sorry. We're what? we're doing a little logging job out here. Oh, is that is that how you make a living? You know, I have a hardwood company with this friend of mine, and it's, I, was, I was kidding, but you do. No, I know, but it's a great ancillary. I actually have a little trucking company and a hardwood company, and what I love is, um, like. The staying busy is so critical in life, and Amen. 
you know, and then, and there's so much of an element of, of the film and television industry, which is you're waiting for someone to tell you if you're cool or valuable or not, or if you're worthy of work. And so if you can get your own side stuff going, right. it's, you don't care. And then conversely, it probably helps you get gigs because you don't have that aura of hanging. You know, like I'm sitting over here. Am I cool? A whiff of desperation. Wait, have you ever? Do you have your own production company or anything? Or do you well, have you? That, that's about always that? a that's always a bit of a yeah. funky one, right? Because most people do just in terms of an S corporation. But um, yeah, I've only done. A, a one, I did a movie with this guy, Orion Williams, that we produced, and it was our company called Raya. And um, I, I'm getting more into that, into screenwriting. And I wrote, I wrote Danny Trejo's forthcoming autobiography for Simon and Schuster called um, Trejo. This, uh, this his uh, his kind of redemptive life story, which was really a, a fun experience. Are you so? Wait, so wait, you. You wrote a biography of Danny Trejo, it's his, it's or his you memoir. both wrote his autobiography. Which one? It's his. Me- it's his memoir. Okay. So you, you what it is is, him- uh, yes, you have to. You know, there's that. You do the interviews and all that stuff, but then there's that big. Yeah. If you just wrote transcription down, it wouldn't. It has to have that sense in a prose structure. You know, it has to have this narrative structure, and it has to be. Um, it, it's it's his book it's his story it's his words and he's the greatest storyteller um and but we had to work on this thing for a couple of years it was pretty awesome pretty well, awesome experience i want to i'm going to get back to that because i'm going to tie dan what you're saying about danny trejo's redemption story or search for redemption with the story of the film sure you, you maybe can anticipate where i'm going but i i yeah. have to i have to start by saying one thing I have a 16-year-old who, when I told him I was getting Donna Log on my show, he flipped out because cool. he... In a good way, I hope. In the best way, yeah. yeah. Well, I knew he would because we would watch... Go- he, he, would, he saw Gotham, and then he asked me to watch Gotham a second time with him. Wow. So we watched it together, you know, and yeah. so... I knew he was going to get a huge, I've been wanting, by the way, I've been wanting to meet you, if we can call this meeting, uh, before that, before Gotham, I mean, you know, uh, before we were watching that. Uh, anyway, going back to Taoist Steve or earlier, but uh, so, but it just gives me, it's another little level of a perk for me to be able to bring somebody, I know my son's going to, his name is that Jason, is so cool. and he's such I know, a fan but, of yours. Oh, that's so awesome. Tell him hello, and there is nothing cooler about this job than doing a job. And I know, and speaking of Danny Trejo, when he did um, Spy Kids and then Dora the Explorer. Oh, sure, right, of course. His, the kick he got out of doing something that children watched. And I know when I did Grounded for Life and it was on ABC Family after it had been syndicated and it was on when school got out. And it oh, was wow. so cool just to have a generation of young people who know you from that, you know, and um, yeah. if, yeah, I, I, what a kick this is. I, I do think the DC and Marvel universes, the fandom is so awesome that to have a thumbprint in those worlds, um, it means a lot because it means so much to the people who follow them. You know, and I, you go to comic conventions or something, I haven't been to too many, but there is such a passion Um you know, my friend Qualey said, you know what it is, is there all of us want something that we can kind of feel devoted to. And then it 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 unites us with the people who feel devoted to it in that certain way. I just love that it was like this safe space for people to fly this, you know, yeah. without any without any self-referential embarrassment or anything. It's just this is the nerd flag. I this is the stuff I like. And for me. I know growing up in the escapist, I think for me, primarily in that kind of realm, it was Lord of the Rings, the books. And I just could not wait. I couldn't wait to dive into them. I couldn't wait for the class to be over so I could start reading again or, you know, so. 
I, I, I just, I'm there. I, that, there was those books and the Dune books were Dune. my favorites. Oh, I read a bunch yeah. of those too. The first Dune book was, I wasn't a sci-fi guy. My friend Randy Carson was like, read this. Mm -hmm. And it changed me. Um, Frank Herbert. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. I, I know. I, um, I want to be able to, I do want to make sure we talk about sometime other sure. than now, which yes. is. Kind of, I'll tell you, yeah. I want to go into the, how the, how it, how it started kind of for me was, you know, I got Dylan McCormick who wrote and directed it reached out to me and we, we met in Venice um, at Venice beach at this little cafe and we were talking. And when I read the script, I don't want to you know each other or are you saying you just, no, you just you know, recognized you. he knew me and I sure. was the person that they were targeting or whatever for this oh. thing. And he felt like I was a good fit for the role. And, um, and so I had this kind of emotional, this script really spoke to me emotionally as a father or as a guy who knew a lot of people in this kind of similar predicament and, and the redemptive, it's never too late to make the right choice at some point, you know, in life. And yeah, well, exactly. You know, and so, and then Dylan said, you know, that my wife is Greer Goodman, which I didn't. And Greer co-wrote the Tao of Steve. Greer played Sid in the Tao of Steve. Oh. And so I said, Dylan, this is so crazy because this movie, even aside from the part that here's a guy that jumps on a motorcycle from New Mexico and heads east, um, this movie is a 20-year bookend of my life of from the Tao of Steve to sometime other than now. And I knew that Greer got married after the Tao of Steve and had kids. And we just, I, I, I didn't know Dylan was her husband and what a phenomenal guy and what a sweetheart. And then they brought on, you know, Kate Walsh and, and Trieste Dunn and Amy Hargraves. Yeah. Trieste is a friend here. I'm on the East coast. I'm a little North of the city, but Trieste is somebody who I've, I've known over years now and her and her boyfriend. She's uh, such a, she's such a great, unbelievable. Yeah. She's a this great one. spirit, great soul, talented and, and wonderful. And, um, you know, we did the movie and uh, it's supposed to take place in some kind of nondescript new England coastal town, but we were in Greenport, Long Island on the North Fork. Oh, okay. Which I'd never really been to. And I'd been to, I think, a zillion years ago. You know, I've been to Fire Island and I've been, I have never been to the Hamptons proper. And mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. I, oh my God, this was so, just such a phenomenal experience to be. I love Long Island, I have to say. <laughs> As a Long result, Island, I have to say. Yeah. yeah I it's mean, I just, a, it's an odd place. It has different. Whole, I mean, you can go from one extreme to another in, in a matter of miles. I mean, you know, it's like one of those kind of places because of the, yeah, you know, and that has a lot of history to it. But there, it was uh, kind of creepy out there because there's Plum Island. I don't know if you know Plum Island, but it's yeah. referenced in Silence of the Lamb. It's where it lands. Oh, it's yes. Where the, uh, it's where they do the animal testing and anthrax stuff and you know, and if people that work out there, they have to go through nine stages of decontamination, including burning all of their clothes. And it's creepy, but there wow. it is. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, after a lot of logging, you might have to burn all your clothes too. Possibly. Yeah, I had, a, I had but... a tick on my head yesterday. And then, um, yeah, poison oak is pretty bad out here right now. So yeah. Um, where where what region are you in? Just so I'm in southern. I'm in southern Oregon. Near, oh, you are uh, okay. On the Rogue River near Crater Lake um, National Park. So wow. Uh, I want to. You know, one thing I was thinking about about the film, and but what really kind of like stands out is the uh, what sticks with me uh, is this this point of where you get to you you make this decision in your life. Um, a mistake sometimes often or some or you, however you arrive there and you just sort of really can't uh emotionally or uh otherwise get past it it's like where you're stuck and you know this guy uh that you're playing who's uh his name is sam right yeah he he uh he just obviously never could kind of reconcile the choice he made at that time and so mm -hmm. you know which is that he left his family yeah I think it's, you know, I've, I've known people in that scenario. And I think that really resonated that weird thing where like, how, and they say, look, it, it's a, it's such a deep, dull 
thumping ache that you want to throw up about and then somehow over time it just kind of recedes and it doesn't the thought of it doesn't have the same sharp point but it's always there sometimes the dollar point is or dollar thing is is almost worse yes absolutely dollar nagging that's always kind of nagging at you you know yeah a nagging thing and then there's that weird thing too which is sometimes parents who have abandoned children etc they have um i've found it's this weird kind of economy sometimes where the abandoning parent is the one who's kind of forgiven and the absent parent is the kind of one who's adored and the one who has to hang out and do the hard lifting is is the is the one who the kids can sometimes resent too it's so horrible right because they are the ones who the responsibility of being a parent of which I'm a, I'm a parent, I'm a single dad and uh, man, it's a, it's a lot, you know? Yeah. So I've minor 20 and 22 this month and um, they're awesome. They're, they're down in LA right now and they're able to like, be like, dad, you can go, you can go yeah. do what you got to do. And that is, we'll be good. Um, but yeah, parenting. Wow. And I don't, I always feel like there's this weird thing where for people who don't have children, et cetera, it's this strange thing where it, it, there are people who are judgmental about it. Like, oh, you don't have kids. You can't know. Right. Yes. But there's an element of truth to that where it doesn't mean that your emotional, your well is deeper or anything. It's if you don't, if you don't have children, God bless you. That's. That's awesome. That's your choice, you know, and if you do, you know, the responsibility that comes with it. It's just what it means is you just live. There's a different kind of hillside that you're living on where your heart is so exposed to the most pain that it could ever be exposed to in, um, in parenting. It's so, it's so beautiful and it's so intense. Yesterday I had this terrible experience where I'm clean out my log house up here, my log cabin. And there was a closet where I found, um, I found a bunch of baby mice without their mother and they were dying. And then in that closet, there was a bunch of photographs of my kids when they were babies and their mom. And it's this, and all of a sudden that these, these babies, I was like, I've got to try and they're babies in this world without their mama they're not just critters or rodents and um anyway they passed over the night which was a terrible experience Mm -hmm. and i feel super guilty about it but you know what i'm saying it's just what i loved about this was it's never too late to make the right choice never too late and that's the danny trey that danny trailer's book the central tenet and theme is that it is never too late it is not where you it start it's how you finish you know well danny said. was in prison danny was in prison through his 20s he didn't start yep. acting until he was 40 years old he's 76 he's it's almost 77 right you know and yep. he's a force of nature an amazing guy but mostly he helps people and he hopes that his career would always amplify his what he hopes to be god's message of we are here to help each other quite simply. And so um, God working on this book with him was just such a, such an, it's such a humbling and experience. That I'm so grateful for the opportunity, you know? Well, it's interesting how these two things have aligned and they're both stories kind of a redemption and doing, making right with your life. Um, yeah. You know, but that's a powerful kind of thing. You know, and Danny, you know, talks about, and this is for me too, the hardest, um, the most important job that we all have is as a parent is as a parent. And, you know, sometimes there were times where absolutely my career came into direct conflict with my ability to be an effective, loving, present parent. And my kids might even say, listen, dad, I know you were always there. I know you flew back as much as you could um i know you but you weren't always there you know there were these stretches of time where i was like oh doing vikings in ireland or ghost rider in australia and um you know and especially during gotham where i was with my kids 
it was just the three of us in Brooklyn, but the hours are really long and they needed, they just, they really need that. Right. You yeah. gotta be present. You See, know, that, you that, carry that around. Yeah. It sounds like you're still carrying that around. Well, not that I intended this to be a confrontation. No, no, absolutely. Or but a that's, therapy that's, conversation. No, not at all. It's not even, okay. and it, and it doesn't, it is what it is. Like, I don't feel I was doing what I had to do to, I, I was always trying to honor my obligations in every which way possible. And what's awesome is that my kids and I can, we can talk about it. There's no conversation that we can't have. And I think that's the, um, that's hopefully where Sam in this movie is going with his, mm-hmm. with his daughter and his granddaughter, you know? Right. I mean, you'd say it's interesting. It is a love story too. Um, you know, you're, you meet cute oh, yeah. with Kate, Kate Walsh, who is adorable and you took have a great, you actually have a pretty strong chemistry and that, but yeah. it's also a love story about, uh, you know, you and your, your daughter and uh, rediscovering that relationship. And then, and Kate helping again, me being able to forgive yourself. And right. And then Kate helping me to be the one, you know, I don't know if it wasn't, if it's not for her character, if there's her character, Kate, if it wasn't, um, would be possible because here's a guy that's used to taking the easy way out, feeling bad about it, but just mm, somehow swallowing that dull aching pain and moving on. And here was someone who said, listen, you need to, this is something you have to walk through and I'll help you, but I can't do it for you. You know, and Kate was, um, I knew of Kate, of course, through her work. And also she's really good friends with Amy Brenneman and some other really good friends of mine, but I didn't know just how spectacular a human being she was until we met. And then it was immediate, you know, she's so funny. Um, She's, she has 7.2 times the normal energy of any human being. Like she is just a force of nature in the best possible way. And she, you know, there's also that weird thing. And I've, I've felt it a few times acting, but you're watching someone, you're doing a scene with them and they're doing this thing and you go, wow, that is why they're so, they're so good. They make so many difficult things seem so natural so conversational um yeah she's just a great she's a great she's a great actor and we we were living in that little motel that we filmed in the sunset motel oh really and yeah so when we we were working a lot of hours but when we would when we were at lunch or something kate and i would just go in the ocean you know and i was like what a what a it's just a great life like feel so i feel blessed to meet the people i've met and yeah get to tell these little stories you know as hokey as that sounds but it's just true i was i think i related her to her character the most because he plays a kate i don't know how they arrived at that character's name but um <laughs> it's kate walsh i think Langer. it was just happenstance it Me was too. probably was it was actually in the script but, and you yeah. know they there were yeah i related because she's at a point in her life where you know i'd love to fall in love you're I, obviously she dug your Sam a lot. She yeah. she had a big crush and she was making it very obvious that she was interested in some, you know pursuing something. Yeah. But at the same time, she was like, "Look, uh, I, I I'm content. Yeah. I don't need I don't need this. I would like it, yeah. but I don't need it." And I'm kind of I relate to that being at my place right now. I think we're roughly maybe in the same age range, and uh, yeah. I I just feel like at this point, hopefully that's the case where it would be really nice, but. You know, I can, I can, I can move. I have my own life here. You know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm just doing okay. You know, I'm and okay with that's the, the healthiest. That's the healthiest thing in life because sure. otherwise, yeah, you're it's a work. And the machine, like you have to have your computer has to run on its own operating system, spiritually, etc. Uh-huh. And if you need someone else to be like, but I need you. I, I, man, I feel I have such strong feelings about this. Also, because I have children. And for me, I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't very good when, when my, their mother and I split up, Mm. I never really found something else. And I didn't want to be, and it's not fair in some ways, but I wasn't going to be the guy that was like, all right, kids, you're going to learn to love Betty. Okay. 
she's your mom like or or that thing where they're like you're not my mom or you're not my dad you know and so like you said i became very comfortable with the trio that was me and my two kids and um i love that about her character that she's like listen man if this is cool it's cool but i don't need it and and i love that feeling like we don't really owe each other i always bristle at that kind of thing when people are like um we spent these years together and you owe me like what what do people owe me if someone's not in love with me thank you for telling me that you don't i can't force you to love me or want to dedicate your life to me and it's not necessarily healthy and if you don't what a gift it is to be able to tell someone like i just don't you know i've seen people who are like that person just told me that they fell out of love and it's so horrible and they're so terrible. And it's like, well, what's the, what's the, the other side of this, that they just keep it inside and don't love you and just pretend or, you know, relationships are hard as hell and I'm super unsuccessful at them. So um, I'm right there with you. (laughs) Don't have people do it. I'm always, always I'm not a fully healed and whole, you know, I'm just, yeah, it's a, it's a, it to, for two people to come together in a really adult way and just go, all of it's not rainbows and it's hard and you have to work through things. And it's not about me changing you to make you, you know, when someone's like, I made him or her. Yeah. When I first met them, they were like this, but I trained him or I fixed him. And like, that is so nuts. Like yeah, we have not, to just yeah. learn how to accept people. And, and I, I've seen those types of partnerships and I marvel at them because I do think two people together, can really accomplish so much when they're in that harmony as first of all, best friends and not, you know, not enemies um, where they're like in a relationship, but jealous or controlling and that weird kind of thing where or it's set somebody up at a, on a, you know, like on a throne or a, you know, like setting somebody up on some sort of uh, this impossible place sure. where they can't achieve all you know you, you, you anyway you know where else you know, would they go yeah you know exactly yeah. right exactly uh don a lot you're the it's, uh, it's a new film it's called some sometime other than sometime now, other than now. Mm-hmm. it's directed Sorry, by dylan we, mccormick we into all kinds of conversational um tangential that's, the, that's what i do always, I, that's yeah. how i i like it i yeah. can do an hour easily do an hour or two i mean obviously uh but i don't want to interrupt the logging <laughs> you know i mean I know oh, yeah. you're there. you got a job to do <laughs> and well let's just mention the film is opening in theaters which sounds nice coming out of my mouth and on demand tomorrow may uh march 5th uh as we record this it's march 4th um and so wow. and it's a, it's a small film it's an it's a classic indie film a festival classic film. film you know yeah. I, I enjoy i enjoy i enjoyed it it was just like you know did what it's supposed to do made me feel good too good good yeah i remember reading the script and there's a particular poignant moment in it where he knocks on a door and tries to run away and that was the one that stopped me when i was reading it i'm like oh my god that's the moment and um yeah and like you said it harkens back to you know, every job like Gotham is very arched and theatrical and every job requires a different kind of thing. But I was like, I really miss doing, I had done so many kind of a, at the height of that era of the Indies and the 90s. Yes. Done yeah. So many That's right. of them. That's what I associate I, with originally. And, uh, you know, that's really kind of like the heart. It. I've had a lot of those people on my show over the years. And it's in a way, because that's when I discovered cinema on my own yeah. apart from my parents yeah. you know i he, they brought me up i got to see all the great you know 70s filmmakers like the cine lumets and the coppolas but and then and the uh, european filmmakers but when i as a young man in my late mid to late 20s started discovering cinema was the was the birth of that you know the american indie yeah it, like when you're you and kevin uh, and and steve buscemi and all you guys you know yeah. started and you're talking about kevin corrigan of course kevin right? corrigan who's uh yeah a pal and uh amazing Kevin's guy. over oh, here in God. New York. So I, I would, I, you know, he, he goes on I my miss, Instagram and so, I miss I, being New York. I miss, uh, last I saw Kevin was in, we were in, um, downtown Brooklyn, kind of near my old, near Fort green, my old neighborhood. Uh-huh. Yeah. We just had that kind of 
endless afternoon coffee that just I, I could sit with Kevin Corgan till we're in our golden years. You know, I love that man so much. And he's so talented. Um, he truly is. He's next level. He, he breathes some kind of like different life and perspective into he's never not eye opening where you're like, wow, that was just a line, man. But however, whatever you just did told multitudes, you know, and what was it walking and talking and um, Nicole Hall, um, Hall, Hall, yeah. Oh my, what a genius she is. God, she's amazing. But thank you so much, man. I, um, blast. Maybe we'll catch up on the East coast at some point. That'd be delightful. I think I'm, you know, I love it. And I'd love to, yeah, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll connect with you somehow and we'll, we'll do something again and it'll be really nice. Or, and awesome. you know, Kevin, cause he's, he is one of a kind. He's Kevin one of Corgan. a kind. Yeah. Yep. Thank you so much. It was nice meeting you. Nice to meet you. Have a great day and tell your son. Thank you again. <laughs> he's okay. gonna, he'll really appreciate that. I will. Oh, he's, that's, that's, I wish we were still doing it and he could come down to the set. Stein <laughs> and he's in Brooklyn. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, he's right now. In that's Los crazy. He's, he's in Los Angeles with his mom, who's an actor. Uh-huh. Uh, coincidentally, but uh, he's come, he goes to school at the Brooklyn high school of the arts, which is in not just blocks from Fort green. Actually, it's just right by the, uh, the Atlantic center, that area, the, the, the uh, arena. And, oh uh, yeah! I, when I left, when I moved from Clinton Hill, I moved to that exactly where that high school was, into a building called the Hub, the tallest residential building right down to right by the Barclays Center and stuff like that. But I I do miss yeah. Brooklyn, so yeah. But you know well, the woods are pretty awesome. I know that's why I'm I'm living up here in the Hudson Valley for a while now. I'm just enjoying Good. it. Yeah. Good. Okay. I'll catch you later, man. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening again. Please go to Apple Podcasts or whichever your favorite app is. Leave us a, a star rating and a review. You must know by now how important, how crucial that is for people to uh find the show coming up also i should mention i'm I'm very excited we have um not only am i going to bring on uh, the filmmaker michael galinsky who's a regular on the show but the the subject of a new podcast called relative unknown we're going to post that soon we're going to also post a great conversation with the author mark harris who wrote a book called mike nichols a life it is really great book if you have if you're interested in Mike Nichols movies like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and The Graduate and, uh, you know, uh, Working Girl and countless other films. Pick up this book. You you will not want to miss it. The segment is co-hosted with my friend Ileana Douglas. Of course, much, much more. Check the uh, please subscribe to our podcast. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. And uh, don't miss out on this very special coming. Also, I should mention coming up is a conversation with a returning Janet Pearson from the South by Southwest Film Festival. She has been running this festival for years, and she's going to talk to me about doing a virtual film festival. How do you make it really exciting despite the setbacks of not being able to congregate in person? Well, she she lets me know in a really great conversation coming up, among many others. Uh, take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time, this is Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Lacks Reading.